Good morning. So here we are on the first Sunday of Lent, and I'd like to talk for just a bit about giving in to temptation. Being that Lent is a penitential and reflective season, our gospel from Matthew, in fact all of our lectionary readings this morning, deal in some way with the idea of sin and temptation. The great thinker and philosopher Blaise Pascal noted that we spend the vast majority of our lives seeking various sorts of diversion. We are constantly searching for some form of entertainment or even just a momentary distraction. We look for things to make us happy temporarily or perhaps more accurately to take our minds off what we feel is the mundane nature or even in extreme cases we hope the misery of our daily existences. We hope to blunt the sharp edges of some kind of suffering or discomfort that we're experiencing. Perhaps we smoke to handle the anxiety of a job or a boss that we find difficult to tolerate. Or we work nonstop to make money to buy things in the attempt to give our lives some meaning which we feel they lack. We chase our social advancement and status because we believe that being or at least feeling better than our neighbor will fill some sort of void. Often we overcommit and overextend so that we don't have to think at all. All we're able to do at the end of the day is come home and fall into bed exhausted. More frequently than we care to imagine is the plight of those who feel the pull to alcohol or other drugs to numb the pain of abuse or neglect that resists resolution in any meaningful way. In fact, statistics from John Hopkins University School of Medicine tell us that more than 21 million Americans suffer the disease of addiction. I'd like to repeat that. 21 million Americans suffer. None of that sounds like too much fun, does it? So why would any preacher worth listening to recommend giving in to temptation? Let me answer that with a story of an experience that three of us from this church had recently. Thursdays are my office day here at Emmanuel, and sometimes there's work to be done with Diana and Andrea, the parish administrator, and preparing and proofreading the bulletin for the coming Sunday. Lately, there have been funerals to discuss or plan. On my most recent office Thursday, I stood behind the altar while Diane gave me what I hope is the first of many lessons in presiding over the Eucharist. Spoiler alert, it's much harder than it looks, and she doesn't get enough credit for that. On this particular Thursday afternoon, Diane and Tim and I were all leaving the church at about 4.30. It was a gray, cold, and windy day, and the sun was refusing to grace us with its presence for more than a few seconds at a time. As we crossed the parking lot, Tim noticed something laying in the snow in that patch of grass between the edge of the lot and the city street. After a few seconds, we all realized that what we were looking at was not a something, but a someone. Diane called 911, and within a few minutes, the medics had the man packed into the ambulance and off to the emergency room he went. This is an all-too-common scene in our fair city this time of year. Things Things turned out for our friend from the parking lot, at least we pray they did. 
He went to the hospital, got warm, and we hope got something to eat. But the fact of the matter is that in Rockford, not to mention cities like it all over the nation, the unhoused and underserved freeze to death in parking lots and vacant lots. The summertime isn't much better When those of us fortunate enough to have air conditioning are cool and comfortable inside, there are thousands of our brothers and sisters in Christ who are less fortunate and don't have a climate-controlled room to get out of the weather, or for that matter, any room at all. If we think about it, we can likely remember a time when we've seen someone out in the weather looking for shelter or something to eat, and for a variety of reasons, we just continue on our way. We know we should do something, but we're too busy or distracted. There are bills to pay or children and grandchildren to care for. We need to be on time for this meeting or that appointment, and so we look the other way, pressed as we are for time, and perhaps even more pressed to remember our compassion. We think that surely someone will come along and solve that person's problem, so we don't need to get involved, or even worse, We think that perhaps that person, that soul, who's in trouble has become that way through some doing or even some fault of their own, and they shouldn't really expect us to get them out of it. And so this morning, as we listen to the account of Jesus himself being tempted by the evils of ego and selfishness and greed, I'd like us to think about the ways in which God tempts us. I hope you'll forgive air quotes there, but... I grant you that we don't typically think of God doing any tempting. Usually in religious discussions and writings, we refer to it as God convicting, or for those of us of the more evangelical stripe of putting something on our hearts. But at their root, both tempting and convicting are two sides of the same coin. Both are about compelling us to some kind of action, one for good and one not, But the temptation I'm talking about this morning is the temptation to feel compassion. And perhaps more importantly, the temptation toward action for the benefit of others, which compassion can create. The Catholic author, historian, and theologian Karen Armstrong reminds us that in compassion, when we feel with the other, we dethrone ourselves from the center of our world and we put the other person there instead. Pastor Robert Thurman tells us in his famous treatise on community and compassion entitled Jesus and the Disinherited that the religion of Jesus makes the love ethic central in the Christian life. As Anglicans, our church, our faith, and our theology constantly remind us to love each other as God loves us. And of course, this is all well and good and as it should be. But in what seems like a major contradiction to our old friend St. Paul, the epistle of James tells us that faith without works is dead. It is a good thing to worry about those who don't have enough to eat, but our worries don't fill stomachs. It's noble to be concerned that there are those on the street who suffer moment to moment and day by day with the pain of addiction, but our concern alone won't help them find the peace of recovery. How can we not lose sleep over abused or neglected children, but our sleepless nights won't tend bruises or renew in their hearts the knowledge that they are loved and they are safe? 
We're already heading into the second week of Lent, friends, as hard as that it is to believe. And as we do, I wouldn't want anything that I or any other preacher or teacher says to dissuade you from developing and building, as the Carmelites say, your interior castle. That being said, however, I'd like to encourage you, as I said earlier, to give in to temptation. I'm not talking about chocolate or coffee. The temptation to serve and to help and to change, to change lives and circumstances, to improve situations and work to change lives forever. Diane mentioned last week that just as we can cut out sweets or too much screen time as a discipline at this time in the Christian calendar, our discipline can just as easily be about addition rather than subtraction. We have a soup kitchen right here at the Jubilee Center on our very own Emanuel campus. Libraries and literacy groups all over the city are always looking for those who will donate time and energy to teach others to read a life-changing skill, I'm sure you'll agree. There are groups that are constantly searching for volunteers to pick up trash and make our neighborhoods more welcoming and hospitable. And if your health or job or family situation won't allow you to do that, there is no shortage of civic organizations that can do that work. And I've never known one that will turn down monetary assistance. So seek them out and make it your Lenten discipline to increase your giving. Remember that it's okay if we're a little more tired or have a little more disposable and entertainment income during Lent because we've sacrificed more of our time, energy, and money to help others. We need only consider the sacrifice in which we partake each Sunday at the altar rail. In light of Christ's loving and selfless sacrifice for us, can we really do too much for each other? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen.